You know, we hear a lot about New York City uh, in the media today, you know, lots of crime happening. And uh, so I have a gentleman that I've been following for quite a while that has decided to do something about that. So I thought you needed to meet him. Michael Henry, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. So you decided, so you're an attorney, but I've got to tell everybody this first and foremost, you're a cop's kid, right? Well, my father was, a, yeah, my father was a police officer years ago. He's actually a homicide detective. Um, so, you know, obviously you hear the stories and he actually, even early in his career, had an incident where uh, he had to spend over four weeks in a hospital after saving a baby out of a burning building. So that um, gives me the ability to understand police officers uh, and, you know, what they go through more because I've been hearing the stories from my dad ever since I was a kid. <laughs> I love that. So uh, you decided to become an attorney and uh, and then you started to, um, you know, you did some political uh, analysis and, uh, you know, people probably recognize you from uh, Fox Business and you've done some writing, but you decided to jump into the uh, New York State Attorney General's race. What what prompted that decision? Sure. For, for me, um, look, I was always around or supported people for office, never myself wanted to be a candidate. And I always thought people were crazy for running for office. And quite frankly, it was the one party rule of the state in my state, along with the government's disastrous response to the COVID crisis. And what I seen was everyday people were struggling, whether it was crime, corruption, cost of living. And I initially explored it and I was going through the motions kind of of exploring it. And then I start meeting people and everywhere you go, you meet like these great people, but someone's child died of a fentanyl overdose. Someone's mother died in a nursing home and they didn't know for two days. Someone's kid was murdered from someone out on bail form. You meet people losing their small businesses. And it was really the people that I was meeting along the way that made me want to do it. Not that I ever wanted the job title. And for me, quite frankly, I just wanted to be an advocate for people that I felt like they felt they were being left behind. Well, I'm so glad you brought up um, COVID because one of the things that has really helped to decimate NYPD um, are the VAX mandates, right? And even though when, you know, in New York took um, extraordinary steps in the beginning of COVID to really shut the city down um, and they were one of the last really let go of a lot of those things and the VAX mandates um, have really been a problem uh, for recruiting and retaining NYPD personnel. Can you talk about that a little? Yeah, we basically have taken yesterday's heroes and made them today's unemployed. And quite frankly, I think number one, we're in an endemic. We're not in a pandemic no longer. We have, we're able to detect COVID fairly quickly now. We understand treatments, therapeutics, uh, the, we understand how the vaccine works. We've seen that the strains are actually getting weaker as this goes on. So the death toll is nowhere near what it was early on. And I think that the science has progressed so much in less than two years. And quite frankly, to me, to do this to police officers, first responders, firemen, is quite unconscionable in a time when we already see a mass exodus of police officers from the New York City Police Department specifically, and the environment that's been created makes recruiting goals very hard. And this is terrifying to me in many ways because I've been saying for a long time, 
There are a lot of good people that dream of being a police officer, but they're just not going to do the job anymore, or they're going to move to places where they feel they're going to be treated with more respect. And I'm concerned about what kind of individuals are going to start becoming police officers just to satisfy recruiting goals. And it's also something we see in district attorney's offices. So for me, I think what we should be doing is our best to retain police officers and first responders instead of chasing them away. I, I, I met some uh, young police officer at a parade recently. 26 years old, dreamed of being a New York City police officer his whole life, is being fired. This is unacceptable in my opinion, and I do not support these opinions. I believe in ending the mandates, and I believe that we need to move forward with letting people move on with their lives at this point. I just want people to know, and, and I want you to talk about the entire state of New York, because everybody hears about New York City, but New York State is one of the most beautiful places Right. in this country and it's it's not all crime and mayhem like we see on the news talk about your native state a little bit right so new york state's fascinating because right you have new york city which is like the epicenter of the world in many ways you have other big cities like rochester and buffalo who are kind of like rust belt type cities that are um kind of been emptied and you've seen a mass exodus of people and then you have vineyards right you have the Southern Tier, which is very energy, uh, has a lot of energy resources. You go to North Country, you'll see some of the most beautiful lakes you'll ever see. And I'm saying this as somebody who's actually lived in Italy. I mean, you could go to North Country and feel like you're on Lake Cuomo. And it's amazing to me that people don't, this is almost like two or three different states in one. And, and there's so many different people, but there's so many good people. And I, I just believe that what we have to do is utilize everything we have in this state because it should be the most economically, economic powerhouse state in the country, in my opinion. And I have learned so much traveling. I've literally milked, learned how to milk cows. I've seen black bears walk up to a car I was in. So these are things most people would never think of because when they think of New York State, they think of the concrete jungle called New York City. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah. So during you know COVID, we saw uh, you know, and in a post-George Floyd um, mm -hmm. situation, uh, we saw in New York, um, quote-unquote, bail reform. We saw Rikers Island, you know, the doors flung open for a while and so right. many people let out. And there was this excuse of COVID, uh, you know, in the beginning. And then it just got to the point where, you know, we're just not going to hold people um, over for trial when they commit mm -hmm. a crime. And so now... Um, you know, and again, especially in New York, now we see people who commit violent crimes, um, they're let out and are back to the to the uh, place where they committed the violent crime before the cop can even finish the police report. What can you do about that as AG? Right. So in this state, the first thing I'm doing now as a candidate is I'm working to help get people elected to our state legislature that I believe will implement the full repeal of bail reform. Uh, my position, and I would use the bully pulpit, I think this law needs to be fully repealed. I think they're early on um, with some of the poor nonviolent offenders. I think that there was a noble purpose. I've talked to sheriffs about this. I've talked to local district attorneys. Uh, there was a role for some level of cashless bail reform. But what's gone on now is people are living in fear. You have a criminals thinking they can do whatever they want, whenever they want, wherever they want. There's this no fear, no consequence attitude. And it's not just cashless bail. 
Uh, they've implemented discovery reform, which basically makes a victim a victim again a second time. Uh, you have these uh, the parole board in our state out of control. They're releasing cop killers, sex offenders, uh, multi uh, people who've murdered multiple people. And what I would do is um, work one, to build the relationships back up between the community and the police. I think the elected officials in the state have, done, have divided people and that needs to stop. No matter what community I go into, people want their police officers. Uh, secondly, I would work in conjunction with local district attorneys to make sure they have the resources they need. Now, I'm not under the illusion that the Manhattan district attorney and, and some of the other district attorneys that are a little more uh, on the left side of this are gonna wanna work with me, but I'm willing to work with anyone. The, uh, the last thing I would do, or one, one other thing I would do is work with the state legislature to write program bills to try and implement good public policy in place. Because like I said, I do think there is a role for trying to reform nonviolent people, people who have drug issues, uh, veterans suffering from PTSD. We want to get them out of the system. But we also want to make sure the most violent among us are in jail. And I, I can tell you, if you look in New York City, they always talk about, oh, you know, uh, illegal firearms. They're, they're not even prosecuting illegal firearms cases to the full extent of the law. They're, they're lowering the charges. In some cases, they dismiss them. There was actually a story how someone got their illegal gun back and then used it again because they never filed a warrant to keep the gun. Uh, so we have to stop this mentality of blaming objects and start blaming the perpetrators. And I think that people are ready for that again. I think people have tasted what this looks like. And I think that we need to work to clean this up. And we're only a few good decisions away from turning this thing around. We've done it before, we've seen it before. And, and I think that we just have to all stand up for what's right, let people know that we're gonna defend them and make them feel safe again, because people are scared and they shouldn't be. And it's not just New York City. Rochester last year, 38.5% out of every 100,000 residents was murdered. One of the highest murder rates in the country. And what I try to tell people, this is not just a New York City, this is not just a Buffalo, this is not just a Rochester issue. Crime starts in the cities, goes to the suburbs, and then the next thing you know, it's hitting the rural communities. So we're all in this together, I tell people, and we, we know it needs to be done, we just have to do it. So your opponent, Letitia James, um, has she said some really disparaging things about New York law enforcement? Uh, there's no other way to say that. Um, right. You know what? What are you going to do again statewide to help support uh, mm -hmm. law enforcement so that cities like New York and Buffalo and Rochester and of course you know Albany and the State Patrol, how can they start bringing back people? who wanna become police officers again. I wouldn't spew anti-police rhetoric. I wouldn't hold on to police reports uh, that wind up clearing police officers for political reasons. I wouldn't, when there's riots in the streets in 2020, and my ticket mate, who's our Lieutenant Governor candidate, has a kitchen cabinet thrown on her head and gets a spinal injury. I wouldn't be suing the NYPD and police officers like my ticket mate, who's a hero. I would be suing or investigating who is actually behind these organized riots because many, almost, my friend who's a uh, DA in Brooklyn told me over 80% of their arrests were from out of state. So there's clearly there was something going on there that needed to be investigated. I also wouldn't support a de-escalation bill that makes it nearly impossible for a police officer to use physical force during an arrest because my concern is if you have law enforcement and first responders wasting critical seconds overthinking because they're worried about someone coming for their badge and their pension on political purposes, you are going to cost both the police officers and potentially the people they're trying to help their lives. And I think that what she has done 
is created an anti-police environment. I've even read she wants to go as far to say that like police officers shouldn't be able to carry weapons off duty. And quite frankly, I think that every police officer, good police officer believes in police accountability. But you know, with the way technology is nowadays, the way surveillance is nowadays, the way that you know, there's been so many reforms, like bad police officers are a very small portion of the of the police departments nowadays. And we have to accept that, you know, things are gonna happen. And we also can't just rush out and be political all the time and say, wait until the facts come out. Because we see all these instances, look, we see instances where police officers act very wrong. And then we see instances where police officers are accused, slogans go nationally, and then it turns out the police officer gets cleared. And this has to stop. There needs to be maturity and there needs to be leadership in place that's going to stop with the political rhetoric and start going by the facts and keeping calm when these things happen and showing true leadership instead of just going with you know what panders to a political base. Because this isn't a Republican or a Democrat issue. This is an issue of public safety and that transcends party affiliation. Well, and it absolutely does. You know, people who don't feel safe aren't free. Mm -hmm. And and you know, people who are crime victims don't give a damn about politics. They just right. want, they want their day in court. They want the right or the wrong to be righted. And and I really believe we're losing sight of that. And I and quite frankly, I believe your opponent has already lost sight of that. And uh um I'm so glad you're talking about these issues. Now. Right. One of your specialties is something that's uh, near and dear to my heart as a resident of Southern Arizona, and that is illegal immigration. So there's lots of talk in the media now that the uh, Southern border governors are busing illegal immigrants to areas like New York State. Um, talk about that and talk about how we can fix the immigration problem that we have in the United States. Right. Well, first, the immigration law in the United States is governed by the DOJ, right? The immigration courts are under the Executive Office of Immigration Review. So typically, immigration law is governed by who your president is and then who they appoint to be the head of the DOJ, so like the Attorney General's office. Um, I will tell you, I travel New York State, and even in the most rural areas, we have a very bad drug crisis, very bad drug crisis. And I've been to counties that are sparsely pop populated and they tell me that children are overdosing in these counties on drugs and i think the environment that we've created um where there's been a breakdown between cooperation between state and federal authorities when it comes to these matters i, I think that people in politics lie to the police oh ice is kicking in people's doors and removing these people no they're targeting criminals and as long as the border is unsecure we are going to have a drug crisis in this state we're going to have a drug crisis in this country. We also need to know who is coming into the country because I will tell you my experience. I've done asylum work for people that were persecuted for religious purposes, mainly in, in China. And look, there's a bad trafficking problem. And I don't believe if a young girl is in the country illegally, she should then be subjected to being sex trafficked, drug trafficked, forced into prostitution, okay? We need to create an environment where this stuff is not tolerated. And I think that the media and the general public doesn't wanna believe things are going on that are going on. I've spoken to people that were very high in, in ICE, okay? They tell me the reason they're so strong on border security is because they've seen young girls, 12 years old, eight years old, 
very young ages that were raped for days on end on their journey to the border. They see little bo bodies of boys dead on the border. This is something where people are dying. We don't know who's coming here. And quite frankly, we also don't know why they're coming here. People are being used as drug mules. People are being used as uh, objects of traffic. And this is why I've always had this position. These are human beings at the end of the day. We don't want to see people being victimized. And I think that us having this laissez-faire attitude about this whole issue creates more victims. And I am somebody that thinks one victim is one victim too many. That's why I've always had this issue when it came to border security. And we are also killing a generation of our own children because of a drug crisis that could be stopped if we took our border serious. I've had people that worked in national security that have told me drug cartels on our border are better armed than the Taliban and Al Qaeda. That's a problem. And people in border states, which is obviously outside of my jurisdiction, shouldn't feel like hostages in, in their own states either. So I would be well, I this is something I take very seriously. And it's something that I think everybody bipartisan needs to show leadership on at this point. You know, your state has been so traditionally um, Democrat, but now we have candidates like you and uh, Lee Zeldin and Joe Pinion, you know, okay. conservatives who are um, receiving national attention. Why do you think that is? Because I'm not a politician. Uh, I'm like, the, I'm not a career politician. I'm like the people that are going to watch this. I'm a, a frustrated, I was a frustrated citizen who just said enough's enough i'm tired of crime i'm tired of corruption i'm tired of a cost of living crisis i'm tired of the regular working people of this state being forgotten and for me this transcends party affiliation which is why i've been able to do as well as i have in the polls i'm somebody that a good portion of the people on the other side of the aisle aren't afraid to vote for and i take pride in that because at the end of the day, if I'm the attorney general of the state of New York, or when I'm the attorney general of the state of New York, my job is to represent the best interests of the people of the state. And I think that's something that a lot of politicians forget along the way. They want a job title. They want to feel important. I'd personally rather be in the office doing the work than getting patted on the back at a rally and being told how great I am. You know, one of the things the citizens of New York um, have, a, uh, have a problem with is getting their second amendment rights um, constantly usurped by the state. Talk about what as AG you can do about that. Right, well, I look, we had one case that obviously just went to the Supreme Court. It went in the favor of the plaintiffs. Uh, there's another case now ongoing. I have to be careful on what I say because I could be assuming these cases. So if I telegraph, obviously that I have a position either way, I do have to go in review it. I will be the lawyer of the state. What I will say is New York is a very diverse state and you have portions of this state where people have a 15 minute response time for law enforcement. You have portions of this state where people live off the land. You have portions of this state where people have animals that could do a lot of harm to them coming onto their property. And I think that the problem that people on the other side of the aisle have made is their preference is to blame an object instead of a perpetrator. If you keep all the bad guys in jail and you get rid of all the illegal weapons, I mean, this is a way to get rid of this. The other thing we don't, there's two other things we don't talk about. We've put privacy over safety. How many of these mass shooters did we see the police went to their house multiple times, but they couldn't talk about what went on or the public wasn't aware. So regardless, they're going to clear a background check. The other thing is 
the rise in these mass shootings is correlated with the deinstitutionalization movement. And we've shut down a lot of mental institutions in the state of New York, and there's mentally ill people. And if they couldn't get a gun, they're going to use a knife. They're going to use a car. They'll make a makeshift bomb, right? Th this is something where we're not treating this with a full seriousness of all the things that, that could be addressed. And I'll tell you, I've met a lot of gun owners and, and people that are big into the 2A movement. And they're more, a lot of them are about safety. They lock their guns. They don't let their kids go near the guns. It's not like everybody that has a gun, their kids are running around like Yosemite Sam, not, not to be funny. And I think that we have to understand that there's also people, for example, Brownsville, New York, is probably one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in New York City. If you're a single mom working a double shift, you get on the subway to go home. It's basically a Motel 6 for the homeless at this point. You get off the subway. You have to walk through a neighborhood where you're exposed to drug dealers, drug addicts, gang members, violent criminals. Why, if you're a law-abiding citizen, should you not have the right to protect yourself? And what they do is they make the costs and the amount of training and the amount of background check information that has to go into this, they, they do this to disenfranchise people from trying to carry. And I think of that single woman. I think of that person that might have a 15 minute response time for the police. I think of that person that might have a bear coming onto their property while their children are out playing. And I have to say, we're not dealing with this issue the right way. We see subway slashings. We see people wielding axes and machetes. We see people throwing people onto subway tracks. Is, is the sign saying this is a gun-free zone stopping those crimes? Michael Henry, you speak so much common sense. Where can people <laughs> follow you on social media? Where can they find out more about your campaign? Sure. Uh, my website is Michael Henry 4AG, the word for. I have a Twitter page, Michael Henry, the number 4AG, and then a Facebook page, which is Michael Henry, the word for AG, F O R. Um, so they can find us there. They can also interact with us. We respond to people, we stay interactive, we constantly, you know, keep it focused on the issues that matter to people. And that's what we do. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. And if you would like more information about us, visit us at nationalpolice.org. Put the gun down! Last year, law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. Put the knife on the ground. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.